Well, again, as we uh, anchor in on Matthew chapter 3 and look at what the church is, what church membership looks like, and that that tie-in, today we want to look at that word repent. Um, You know, I was thinking about that, and it's interesting because, you know, you go to like a sporting event, and they have to, like, they cue you. That's what cheerleaders and yell leaders are there for. They have their, their signs, right? You know, and you go like maybe, you know, C and then Hawks, right? And the, they get the crowd going, but you're, you're cueing them or they'll have signs that say, you know, you go to a baseball game and they'll be like, you know, it'll literally say, cheer loud. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's what you're there for, right? To go to the game and to cheer and to cheer loud. But I feel like we kind of need that same kind of sign or banner and neon lights that just kind of jumps out at you. Repent. You know, as, as the reminder, repent. Um, and so we talked about that before where it's the, the shortest sermon in the Bible that you'll see. You see John the Baptist, he uses it and Jesus as well, which means we should kind of cue in and take a look at what that is and even dive into it a little bit and kind of, uh, dig around and say, okay, wh- what is the, the impact and the meaning of this word repent? Well, some of you may be very, very familiar with, uh, uh, you know, the social media mega company, Facebook, right? Facebook and uh, the CEO, this young guy, you know, Mark Zuckerberg. Well, he recently just changed the name of Facebook and Facebook also owns like Instagram and some other social media companies, but he changed the name to Metaverse or Meta, sorry, Meta, just Meta. Um, and I remember when I first heard that, I was like, that is such a weird name, you know, Meta. It's got to mean something. I mean, the, it has to have deep, impactful meaning behind it. Um, and so essentially, and, and, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's uh, Meta is, it's, it's this, the VR, right? The virtual reality world that we're kind of, you know, we started off with games, you know, you're playing games and we're going further and further and deeper and deeper into it, which is this world where people can do anything. So instead of spending thousands of dollars and going to Paris, you just, you know, put the little goggles on and lay down on your couch and, uh, you know, go to Paris, you know, or, or, you know, put yourself in the middle of a concert. And so it's very fascinating and interesting as people then, we can do anything, we can be everywhere, we can play games, you know, the games will feel even more real than ever before, you'll think you're actually in the seat, and you'll live life. And that's the vision, that's the vision of, of Mark Zuckerberg's, and you're just going to kind of like be in this meta world or this meta universe. It's, it's pretend though, right? It's all fake. It's all pretend. But you know, 2,022 years ago, um, Jesus had already proclaimed meta in the metaverse. Um, Well, how so? Well, in the Greek, the word for (coughs) repent is meta. That's where we get the name from. And, and, And names... For companies and corporations, they, they have purpose. They have meaning. When you, when you start a company, you know, and you see all the... I always like looking at company signs and things, and you look at the name, and you're like, 
why did they come up with that name? That, that, that name has purpose. You may not understand it, or you just think it's flippant, but make no doubt when the owner thought of that name, it's like, hey, I'm going to put this on the side of my truck. I'm going to make hats and t-shirts and have a website. I mean, there's a, a lot that goes into that. And so that name has meaning. Well, the word for repent is meta. And like so many other things, it's just, you know, hijacked now to where we don't, we don't even know. We don't even know where that word comes from. Well, originally it has the idea of after, uh, beyond, transcending, and, and to exceed. Or as, again, deeper understanding of this in the Greek is it's to change one's mind and purpose. So, so in changing one's mind and purpose, that's after and beyond and transcending and exceeding. That's what that idea of, of meta or the idea of repent means. And so we have to understand that, that it's, it, it's not just a, a flippant statement, right? It's the idea of changing the inner person, being different. To say repent is to say be different, change your inner being. It's the idea of to heartily make an amendment. That means to, to revise, to alter, to modify, to adapt, to edit, right? Heartily. We, we, you know, that means you, you, you want to do that. Full gusto. When you, when you think of something like to repent, it's, it shouldn't be something that's like, oh man, I don't want to repent. It should be, yes, I want to repent. Full of gusto and vigor. And that's, uh, you know, in the English language, we don't, we don't always have kind of that, that emphasis in our meanings as the Greek does. And in the Greek, that, that's the emphasis to heartily make an amendment. Now, we know what amendments are, right? Amendments in the Constitution, changes. Well, they're full of passion, right? You don't just change an amendment. You change it because there's like real passion. And here, the, the idea of repenting is to change because you loathe, because you hate that sin or that bad habit or that thing that you're doing. So you're turning your soul from this bad thing that you loathe and hate so that you change the inner person, you change the inner man. Well, that's pretty important, right? And that's exactly what Jesus was trying to get everybody to do when he, said, when he comes on. He says, repent. You need to change the inner man. You, you need to change to the core. You need to repent. Um, and so today we see um, this, this emphasis, we want to we wanna look at Jesus's metaverse, not a fake one, not a pretend one, but a real one, one that we're commanded to do. And so there's three elements I want to look at. First is Jesus's command to repent, uh, Jesus's case for repentance, and then Jesus challenges us to repent. So our first understanding then is Jesus's command to repent. So we turn back to, to Matthew 3, starting at verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt about his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Now, it's interesting when we think of church events nowadays. It's like, hey, we want to have this big church event. We want to get a bunch of people, right? And so, you know, you, first thing you got to think about is like, you know, jumpy house, right? You got to get a jumpy house because the kids will love that. We've got to have like carnival food. We've got to have, you know, music. Yeah, that's not exactly what we see here, is it? It's funny. What you see here is this event. This event where John the Baptist, the, the preacher, comes into town. And his message is going to be to tell everybody who comes to this big event, you need to change. You need to change the way you're doing it. You know, we've had the, you know, on the sign, come as you are, right? But don't leave the same. You, you, anybody can come into church. The, the church's doors are, are, are welcome. If somebody's in trouble, if somebody's just at the very end of their rope, this is where they belong. But you, you don't leave the same way. That, that doesn't make any sense at all. You, you, you come for change. You come for repentance. And what's happening here is the message was clear. John didn't really change the message. It's, you know, he had a couple go-to sermons, right? And everybody knew that guy's going to talk about repentance and everybody went. How how amazing is that? We we think people are going to be drawn to the wrong thing. People actually are drawn to truth. People know, we, we all know we've got problems. We, we all know that mm, I need some fixing here. And, and, and that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's a good thing. You know, you don't, well, I mean, there's some people that will just drive their cars, you know, until they, they fall apart. But, you know, um, it'd be better if you had some kind of deferred maintenance plan. You know, change the tires before they blow up. You know, change the oil bef- before the car seizes. You know, you know, get some new brakes before they don't work. Uh, preventative maintenance. Well, spiritually, we need to preventive, have preventative maintenance. And so John the Baptist comes out of the gate and his message is, again, repent. Repent. With a heartily passionate mindset, revise, alter, modify, edit, change your life, change your sinful behavior. The Bible reveals to us that, that the world, that we are terribly corrupt, broken, and sinful. It, it's, it, it's not a, really a personal attack. It's just the truth. It, it's, it's stating things the way they are. You go to the doctor. You go to the mechanic. You, you don't go to the, you know, the mechanic with your 20-year-old car and go, Hey, my car's brand new, isn't it? It's perfect, unscratched. And I mean, why, why are you pretending? Why are we pretending like everything's okay? So true transcendence in this meta kind of definition is, is to, w- with passion, come to make these changes. 
with passion, loathe and hate sin. Do we hate sin? Do we? Well, in so many churches, we don't even talk about it. That's why, you know, our, our main purpose here is what is the church and what is church membership? Well, the church is a place where we hate sin. We hate sin. We're not afraid to talk about it. We hate it. We have to talk about it. Another great way or concept for us to understand this idea of repentance is, is found in, in Jonah. The book of Jonah is uh, it's a great little book uh, at the seminar I went to when you're learning your Hebrew. It's the first book that you, you have to translate because it's got the least amount of Hebrew words and it. it's actually very simple in that way. But it's very complex because in the Hebrew, Jonah is actually very, very poetic. Um, and so one of the statements made in Jonah 3, 9 is, is regarding God and how God is viewing these, these Ninevites, these sinful Ninevites. And so John 3, 9 says that God will turn and relent from his anger and not destroy them and not destroy them. And so the idea here of, of repenting in some translations, it says that, that God repents and people, you know, go, whoa, wait a minute. God can't repent. He's not sinful. Well, the, the term repentance here is, is the idea of turning away from stopping, relenting from that thing, which you're going to do. So you can, you know, in God's case, this was justified. It was just that he would destroy the Ninevites. But the idea here is that he would not do that. Don't do that. Stop and turn around and go the other way. Maybe you've heard re repentance defined that way, and that's where we get it for. And so we, we, what we want to understand, again, what, what we mean by, by repent. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 14. Now, when the apostles in Judea heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them to Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them, and they simply... <clears throat> they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying hands on them and they were being receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give this authority to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, for yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. 
Well, this idea here of, of repentance in, in this Acts 8 is the, again, changing the intention of your heart. See, these people thought that they could buy their way into heaven or they could just pay for it. So Simon is this, this sorcerer and they, they thought they could just you know, pay this guy off and that would you know, make things better for them spiritually. Well, well no, that, that's not going to work. And so this was a very wicked thought, a very wicked uh, intention of, of, of the soul. And, and I like that it, that's, it, it gets deep here because it talks about the heart, verse 21, that their heart was not right. Their heart's not right. Um, it's deceitful. It's broken. It wants to take shortcuts. It wants to cheat. Therefore, they need to repent. They need to change. They need to yield from this wickedness and pray to the Lord if possible. And I, and I love this prayer that the intention of the heart, we tend to focus on the, on the action, right? We tend to focus on the end result. Well, the, the end result, a lot of times, it's kind of too late. So we, we go out, we go in the, the yard, the garden, we see, you know, the, you know, the weeds or the dandelions or whatever's growing and it's, you know, gotten about a, a foot, two feet tall. Well, the problem is the root system. That, that's the deep intention of the heart that's in there down deep. That's what needs to be changed. You could come and clip off, you know, the little flower head of the weed, right? What's going to happen? just comes right back, even stronger and better than ever. And so the idea of repentance of the wicked ways is to, to pray, to ask the Lord. It's okay to ask the Lord to help you with the intention of your heart. The heart is desperately and de de deceitfully wicked, as uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 says. So we may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. You see the, 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 the language that's here. This is not just, it, it's not light. This is deep-rooted. This is deep-seated. And so our goal is to get our hearts right. We need to get our hearts right. If we don't get our hearts right, then we'll be vexed. That's why you come across people so often that are like, you know, they fly off the handle. They're so bitter. They're bitter with crazy, weird things. Because deep down, they, they've, they've never addressed the intention of their heart. So it, it just sprouts up new and different ugly weeds. And every day it's a, just a, a different problem, a different issue. Well, where to repent from that w wickedness? Um, it's urgent. This idea of repenting is urgent. So, you know, 2,000 years ago, uh, John the Baptist is on the scene. He's first on the scene. The first message he has for the, the church and people is, hey, you need to change. You need to repent. And then right after that, Jesus' his first preaching message is the same, to repent. Now, notice, going back to Matthew chapter 3, back to Matthew chapter 3, it says, repent. Why should I repent? Well, here's a reason. For the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. What, what is that statement? That, that's that end, the end of the game, the end of the judgment, right? 
where the kingdom of God is, is close. It's at hand. It's when, within arm's reach. And so you need to repent and change from your wicked ways right now. Why? Because the end is here. Now we immediately go to Revelation. We immediately go to the kingdom of God because that's what it says. But make no mistake that the kingdom of God is at hand every day and every second. You know, the old Pollyanna movie, death cometh unexpectedly. The day that you die and stand before the Lord God, your maker, could be today. I mean, we hate to think of it that way. Uh, very recently, there was a, a tragic death and somebody in our church family, their very, very dear friend, and they drown. And, and like that, out of nowhere, everybody thinks that everything's fine and now that person is no longer here. Death comes unexpectedly. The kingdom of God is at hand. We can get in our cars and get in an accident today. Um, so deal with it today. Uh, that's the idea here. The idea here is urgency. Urgency for what? Well, first, verse 6, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan rivers as they confessed their sins. Uh, you know, we, we, we need to confess our sins. We need to confess, make confession, stand before the Lord that, you know what, I, I'm not right. I have sinned. I have broken your law. I have disobeyed your commands. Um, you just think of petty little, you know, not that this would ever happen with you, but for some people, they get in arguments with family members. You know, husbands and wives quarrel um, over really lame stuff, right? Really lame stuff. Doesn't seem lame at the time. Um, but it all begins with what? How, how do we fix this? Well, it begins with not just saying, well, I, I repent. Um, well, that's not really going to work, is it? The other person wants you to acknowledge what you did was wrong, to make confession. I admit that what I did was wrong. Confession. Um, at that point, then you can begin the healing. You can begin the process of, of, of forgiving. So that when, you say, when they say, I'm going to repent, I'm going to change, it's like, well, now at least we know and have identified that you know the problem, you've identified the problem, and now you can change that problem. Of course, so many times we look to repent, and then we're actually confessing, and it's like, that's not even what I'm mad about. So that's a whole other layer and level, right? So we, we begin with confessing our sins. This is how we repent. Um, we, verse 8, we're, we're, we're bringing forth fruit in keeping with repentance. I, I love that phrase. We're, we're bringing forth fruit in keeping with repentance. We're all fruit trees. That's what Matthew 7 says, right? He is going to know you by your fruit. So you're all fruit trees. What kind of fruit tree are you? Are you a cactus? Um, do, do you have fruit on you? Do you have a nice, beautiful orange tree or lemon tree, right? 
I think we you know, want to be an apple tree. You know, we, we like the, that kind of fruit, right? Um, well, you should be known by your fruit. What, you know what your fruit should be? Repentance. You're, you're not a delicious apple. Your, your, your fruit is repentance. Well, what a, what a great picture. Why? Again, verse 7, because we're, we're, we're fleeing. We're, 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 we're fleeing from this imminent kingdom of heaven is at hand, the wrath that is to come. I, it, it boggles my mind why the church doesn't talk about sin and repentance and hell. Uh, it's it's an absolute reality. It'd, it'd be like training a boxer and pretending like nobody's going to hit him. You know, well, we'll just teach you how to punch. We'll just teach you how to move. We'll just, it's like nobody tells the guy, oh, by the way, there's a guy on the other side who's going to punch you in the nose. You, you, you need both sides of the message. Death and destruction and pain and wrath comes upon death. And so you have an opportunity to confess your sins, to, to change, and, and to have fruit of repentance. Um, see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were, they were walking around doing religious things. They were even going to John the Baptist and be like, hey, you know what the latest, greatest thing is? To get baptized. Let's go get baptized with John the Baptist. He's a good speaker. It's like, you know, the, the, the latest revival type thing. You don't just do these things. You don't just get baptized because you think it's cool. You don't just take communion because, well, it's being passed around. These are serious things. Um, they don't save you, but they're serious. And so these Pharisees and Sadducees were coming. And what does John the Baptist say? He says, you snakes, you brood of vipers. Again, the modern church is, this is what's going to be our our revival week is the bouncy house and the carnival and the food. And when people come in and they have no intention at all of repenting or changing their not lives, we say, welcome, brother. You're part of the family. That's not what John the Baptist says. He says, get out. You're snakes. Whoa. Been to church like that lately? If you're not going to repent, if you're going to fake it, Leave. Wow. There is a message for you. But understand why. Understand why. It's not just because he's trying to be, you know, mean. It's because there's a graphic warning here. Verse 10. Here's the warning. Why would you say that to somebody? If you're not willing to repent, I don't want you here. Go. Yikes. Could you imagine somebody looking at you eyeball to eyeball and saying that? But this is what's behind it. Verse 10. Why? Because there's an axe. The axe is already at the root of the tree. So when you're preparing to chop something down, right? You know, we got chainsaw guys here. So, you know, big old long chainsaw. And you, you bring your gear over and you sharpen the, the blades and you oil it up and you get it ready. And, and where, do you, where do you put it? Right, right by what you're getting ready to cut down, right? You set it right there. Well, what's being said here is the axe is ready. It, it's ready to go at the root of your tree, your non-repentant tree. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, that does not repent, is what? 
cut down. Not just cut down, thrown into the fire. If, if that's not a graphic picture of hell, I don't know what is. So the truth is, I don't want you coming in here and playing in the bouncy house and pretending like we're all family when you're not. Why? Because the truth is, what happens after the bouncy house is the axe. I, I would be hating you if I said that. Not loving you. That's not caring for you. You're, you're leading people to destruction. Um, you don't have to be mean about it. But that's the truth. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. He's not backing away from this repentance thing. He's, he's doubling down. But he was coming after me is mightier than I am. I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand. So here's, here's the two of them, right? John the Baptist and Jesus. Right? These are the two, you know, you know, prominent figures in the New Testament. We have all these rosy, you know, visions of them. And, you know, well, we should have paintings of this. You know, here's, here's John with his axe, you know, with a little smile. And here's Jesus over here with his winnowing fork. This is the picture. And the winnowing fork is, you know, that idea of you, you dig it into that, you know, that wheat and that chaff and you, you throw it up in the air, right? The separation of the chaff from the wheat. The heavy stuff comes down. The chaff, as Psalm 1 describes, gets blown away. Gets blown away to the side. We pick that up. And what do we do with that? We burn it. We burn that which is useless. Verse 12, we burn it up. We burn the chaff with an unquenchable fire. Graphic. Graphic illustration of why we need to repent. See, here's the thing. This is the, this is the scary thing. God is so forgiving and merciful and compassionate. And if you're not sure, turn to Genesis 1 and just start reading. And you'll see over and over and over again the sinful, wicked people who God loves. And they rebel against God and he keeps forgiving them. Rejudges. It's a cycle of sin, right? Cycle of sin. He, he, he judges them, he disciplines them because he loves them, and he restores them over and over and over. And this, this is God's pattern. But here's what scares me is that there is a hell, and there is unrepentance. And what is that line? What, what's, what's that line? Well, you know, it's, it's like, it, it, again, it's like your car. There's certain things that you can see in your car that indicate something's wrong. You know, the red lights go off, there's beeping, there's flashing, this and that. And when you see those things, you're supposed to stop and repent and fix it. But you know what? There's things that happen that you may not even see. The light doesn't go on. It doesn't mean that you're not responsible and accountable for that. It's still happening. And when that car then stops and you're in the middle of nowhere and it's like, well, what happened? I thought, I thought the light was gonna like grab me and tell me, no, no, now is the time to take it into the shop. The brakes are about to go. It doesn't happen like that, right? It happens like that. And then you go, well, out of nowhere, well, no, I mean, there's, there were steps, there were things that, 
you know. Um, and then now it's judgment. And why? There's no repentance. There's no desire to repent. There's no, there, there, there's no understanding that where you properly stand before the throne of God. And that's why John the Baptist and Jesus start there. We have to start there. You are not good. You are not perfect. You are not brand new and shiny. No, you're broken. And repentance is not a suggestion. This is not a suggestion. Your fruit of repentance is to amend, to withdraw, and to turn from sin, to hate it, to fight it, to abhor it, to avoid the acts. Well, the second understanding of Jesus' metaverse is, well, there's a cure. There's a cure for sin. There's a cure for repentance. And Matthew 4 kind of gives us a, a little glimpse into that. Well, what, what's, what's the, the cure? Well, what's the problem, right? Again, the problem sin. The problem is that there's an enemy. You know, there's an enemy. It'd be bad enough just you on your own, but there's actually an enemy out there, an advocate against you laying bear traps every night you go to sleep and you know you're getting your rest and every night there's you know someone out there laying bear traps for you right when you get out of bed in the bathroom at your car i mean that that this is kind of what it looks like is, is satan's plot and the plan and the ways of the world well that means temptation is all around you right there's temptation and so we see in Matthew 4, 1, then Jesus was led up by the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will give his angels charge concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up. Let you strike your foot against the, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus combats that with, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and shall serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. So, the problem is, is there is an enemy, Satan. There is temptation. Um, and it's all around us. It's all around us. Ecclesiastes 7.20, there's no righteous man on earth. 1 Kings 8.46, there's no one who doesn't sin. James 4.17, you know what? You know what's right and you don't do it. And then there's even unknown sin. There's sin that you do that you don't know you're doing, but you still need to repent of it. And so what is Satan's playbook? Well, turn with me to Genesis 3.1. We saw an example of Satan 
dealing with Jesus, but he's been doing it from the very beginning in the garden. Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the, of the field. The serpent is more crafty than you. Now, greater is he who is in us than him who is of the world. But the serpent is craftier than you. Do not make the mistake. You have power in Christ, but he's more crafty than you, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the certain, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden... God has said, you shall not eat or touch it lest you die. And the servant said to the woman, you surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan has a pattern. He likes to create doubt. Indeed, did God say that? When you're there and you're plotting your sin and you're thinking of things and you think, is that really wrong? That's not wrong. Maybe a lot of it's wrong, but a little bit's not wrong, right? And you, you know, that's you playing these lines. That, that's Satan talking to you, okay? That, that, that's the, the, the doubt that's, and then the distortion of, of, of the words, right? You want to understand distortion, you know, talk to teenagers, right? They, they really know how to do, well, you know, I mean, it's late, late. I mean, what is late anyway? And, you know, it's like, one's not late. I mean, one's, you know, and they're distorting, kind of twist things and, Make them sound a little bit differently. There's straight up denial. God didn't say that. God never said you can't smoke pot, right? That's not in the Bible. It's nowhere in there. Cocaine's not in the Bible, right? We're going to kind of play those games. Um, He denies God's word. He denounces God. You know what the problem is? God just doesn't want you to be like him. That's the problem. You're your own guide. You can do whatever you want to do. And the whole thing is clouded with deceit. Well, Satan does the same thing with Jesus. See, the tempter comes back to Matthew 4, 3, and he tempts Jesus. And and what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus, he has a playbook too. Satan's playbook is doubt, distortion, denial, and deceit. Right? Even Satan misquotes scripture, Matthew 4, 6. Satan misquotes scripture. He's crafty and tricky. This is why context is important. This is why I like to read the whole passage so that we have some, some context, right? When you just drop in and pull out one word or, or one sentence, well, these, they can get distorted. That's what Satan loves to do. Satan loves to distort God's words. Jesus wants to take it back. Jesus's playbook is, it is written, verse four, verse seven. It is written, verse nine. It is written. What's the playbook? God's word. God's word. There's a problem. It's sin. There's temptation. There's an enemy. There's a cure. How can we repent? How can we be helped to repent? You need to know God's word. Our first cure, our our defense is scripture. It's not a physical power. God never says, you need to stand up before the devil and stomp him out. There's nowhere in scripture that says that. 
You, you, you want to fight against Satan that way? Well, there's first in the Bible. He, he, he beats up people. He, he knows how to do that. Um, we're not called to do that. We're, we're called to, it is written. So, one of the things you can do is identify your key verses. You, you have your known sin. You have your known struggles. I know there's some unknown ones, but things that you know might come. Have your go-to verses. Have your anchors. Right? When you, all of a sudden, you know, you sit there and you, you know, you start having your doubts. And I don't know, did guys really exist and this and that? And it's like, you, you need to know your anchors. Hey, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created all this. Who else created it? It's like, okay, all these different philosophies and ideas. And, okay, I'm, I'm back. Right? Get your bearings. Have your verses. Um, be reminded, you know, Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, not philosophy and psychology and man's books. No, being afraid of God. I'm not sure why we're not supposed to do that, but I know God clearly said not to do that. And so I'm going to fear God more than man, more than being teased or mocked or ridiculed. So that, that's an anchor verse, one of my anchor verses. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16, for all scripture is profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, and training in righteousness, right? So again, the reminder, all these books, all these ideas, you know what? No, all of scripture is profitable to me. Know, know this book really well, and, and I'm going to be okay. It's a great reminder for me. Marriage. You know, you're, you're in marriage and, you know, you're, you know, you're in a quarrel, you're in an argument and fight. Say, like, you know what? Um, okay, go back to what is love, you know? Love is patient. Oh, man, I'm done right now. I'm out. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not brag, does not boast, does not keep accounts of wrong, wrong suffered, bears all, hopes all, endures all. Oh, okay. That's right. She's a problem, but I'm a bigger problem, and I need to do what's right. And so God's word tells me what that looks like. I'm going to obey God's word. There's my anchor. Character, right? The fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 20, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I'm called to be a man of self-control, to be a man of peace and gentle. Okay, I, I, that's my character because there's times where you're challenged, right? The guy next to you on the road tells you, you know, you're number one, self-control, um, you know, purity. You know, I, I have to be reminded of what I watch, what I listen to, what I see. You know, okay, I'm studying, I'm listening to, this is what's happening in the world. This is kind of what the debate is. Well, be careful. Proverbs 23, 7. So a man thinketh, he liveth. What goes into you can come out of you. Be very, very careful. So you think, you live. Again, I want to think godly. So I'm going to study the word of God because all scripture is profitable for teaching correction. See how that works? And these are just some of my go-tos. You know, Philippians 2, all the time, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility in mind, regard my wife as more important than myself. Regard my son as more important than myself. Regard my daughter as more important than myself. Regard you guys as more important. Than my... 
regard over and over and over again. I'm reminded. This helps me to repent. And then I'm constantly reminded, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I'm a new creature in Christ. John 3, I've been born again. That old guy is dead. Don't act like him anymore. Stop it. Repent. It, it cracks me up. I go to, you know, I go to a Ravensdale. You want to have some fun? Go to Ravensdale on a weeknight and go watch little man football. Right? All these little kids. And, and that's, that, that's fun to me. It's, you know, I got nephew over there. But what's really fun is watching the dads walk around. You know, like me and my son, you're at a youth football event. What are you doing, dude? You're, what, you're looking for a fight here? It's so funny. It's like, what, what is going on? It's like, well, the egos, right? They all come out. My kid plays football because I played football. And it's like, you know what? I was that guy. I was that fool. Idiot. I was that guy. You know what? I'm not anymore. I am a new creature in Christ, born again. You know what? I'm going to go over there and flip-flops or, you know, crazy haircuts, whatever. It doesn't matter. Who cares? I, I'm just going to see my, my nephew. I'm not there to like, you know, hey, you guys all know I played football too, right? Everybody here know that? You'll see a couple of the dads out there that want to remind everybody. But anyway, there's a cure. There's a help for repentance. Jesus doesn't just leave us on our own. What did Jesus use? He used his word to repent. Use God's word to repent. The best offense is a good defense, right? The best way to, to be offensive, understand you are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 is very clear. We're in a spiritual battle. Put, put on your, your, your armor, be ready, and part of the only offensive weapon you have is God's word. That's how you, you defend yourself with his word. Well, finally, Jesus challenges us. He challenges us to repent. His interactions with people, he calls people to repentance. Turn with me to Luke 18. Luke 18, Jesus comes into contact with the rich young ruler, right? Luke 18, 18, and a certain ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, I want to go to heaven. What do I got to do? And Jesus said to him, well, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit murder. Do not murder or do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness on your mother and father. And he said, yeah, 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 yeah. All these things. I, I, I've done all that. I'm good. And when Jesus heard this, verse 22, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Try this one. Sell all your possessions, distribute them to the poor, and then you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Uh-oh. Jesus, I want to go to heaven. What do I got to do? Just sell all your stuff and follow me. Um, what? Um, I was thinking maybe I could just like pay you. And not necessarily follow you, just do my own thing. Um, verse 23. But when he heard these things, I, I, I love the honesty here. He became very sad inside. Remember the eternal man. We're talking about inner, the, the real heart stuff. He became very sad because he was extremely rich. See, his heart 
He loved his money and all that his money did and all that his wealth bought. And it's so many things. I mean, that was his lifestyle. And, and he instantly became sad because he knew what that would mean. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they who heard it said, then who can be saved? He gives this example of, well, it's easier for, you know, a, a camel to go through like the eye of a needle. And like, well, that's impossible. Who can be saved? This is who can be saved. Well, but he said, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. What things? The things are repentance. God was calling this rich young ruler to change his purpose to change that which he sought for, to change his, to, to revise and amend, to alter and to modify, to edit his, his whole life's desire. It wasn't that, don't misunderstand this, it wasn't that just like having money made him wicked and evil. It was his deep devoted love to the money that was wicked and evil. That that was, at the end of the day, when challenged with God or money, eh, I'd rather have the money. That's what made him sad, with being confronted with the reality of, no, my real heart's desire. And he needed to repent to change the purpose of his heart. And he wouldn't do it. And that's what Jesus directly challenged him to. We, we studied the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, remember when we looked at that, all the churches were addressed, the churches were looked at, and, and what, what would Jesus say, and, and the evaluation would be given to them? Well, you know, you're, uh, you're doing pretty good, but one thing you did is, you know, you, you left your first love, right? And unless you repent, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, unless you repent, Well, then you will see this destruction that's going to have in Revelation. So in Revelation 2.5, we see the call to repentance because they left their first love. In Revelation 2.16, they needed to repent from false teachers and false idols. In Revelation 2.22, they needed to repent from acts of immorality. They're doing immoral things. In, in Revelation 3, 3, they needed to repent from being lazy. They're, they were called to wake up. Wake up. Um, don't be lazy. Luke, or um, Revelation 3, 19, they were called to repent from being lukewarm. Right? Just, you know, the God said, you know, I, I'd rather you be hot or cold for me. I want you on fire for the Lord, not just like, eh. eh. No. He's like, I spew you out of my mouth. Be zealous. It's okay to be zealous. I want you zealous. Repent from not being zealous was one of the, the calls. We see why there was destruction in Revelation. Revelation 9.20. Why? Because mankind did not repent. They didn't repent. We saw that over and over and over again in Revelation. The opportunities for God to bring salvation, but that mankind clenched fist would rather the rocks fall on them than repent. 
They're going to see Jesus. Oh, if I could just see Jesus, then I would fall. No, they won't. They're, they're going to clench their teeth even deeper, grip their fist even harder, and do everything they can to battle, bowing the knee before the throne. Well, finally, Luke 15. Luke 15 gives us more challenges to repent. In this example, when, when Jesus talks about the prodigal son, and we've, I'm sure we've heard this story many, many times, the prodigal son, but I, I want you to think of it and understand it from the idea of, of repentance, starting at verse 11, Luke 15, verse 11. He said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. And now he had spent everything. A severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, I love that phrase, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm doing, but I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you and your sight. We love to come up with every euphemism you can possibly come up with other than sin, right? He, he'll, Dad, I was, uh, I was misguided. Dad, I, I, I was led astray. Dad, Dad I, no, you sinned. He sinned, and he says it. This is the confession. Remember we started with, you know, confess, get real. He, he understands his senses. He comes to his senses. His heart finally connects with, it, with, with his mind. He, he figures it out. He realizes he has a change of inner heart. He's going to make an amendment to his life. He realizes this and says, you know what? I have, I've been wrong. Not my dad, not anybody else around me. Me. This is on me. He says, this is my plan. I'm going to confess my sin. Verse 19, I am no longer, I'm not even, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just if you would just have mercy and make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. Now see, that's the repentance. That's the changing of one's mind and purpose and inner man. And this would have been a very difficult thing to do, a humbling thing to do. Repentance is humbling sometimes when it's before other people. And he got up and he went to his father. And while he was still a long way away, and this is the picture of our father, God. This is the picture of God in heaven looking down on us, whatever the sin is. And this is the response that, that we see with this earthly father and his father saw him and felt compassion for him and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. You guys get that? The, the, this isn't the son running 
to embrace it. This is the father who's been sinned against. This is the father who's been hurt. This is the one who's been sinned to and rejected. His son left him. And and the scriptures are, are very clear. Jesus did not come to destroy mankind. Luke 9.56, he came to save. Jesus' mission on earth was to die on the cross, to pay the price for our sins, to save us, to seek the lost sheep. Luke 19 says he came, the reason why he came was to save, to save the lost, to feel compassion, to run God wants to run to you. You, you think, ah, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to repent. I don't want to change. Meanwhile, the father's sitting there, just you, you, you go. You, you, all, all we need is a you go first. Just confess. Just confess and in your inner heart, just come to your senses. And I'm running. And and what a and, and to embrace and to kiss. That this isn't like a business transaction of reconciliation for sin from paying the price from the judgment seat. This is love. This is as deep as love gets. Our, our, our Father who's in heaven, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. And this is the graphic picture of the fruit of repentance. And so, yes, Jesus challenges you. Repent. Why? Because we're waiting to embrace you. Change your ways. Why? Well, because the axe is at the root. It's at your feet right now. The winnowing fork is over the shoulder right now. Don't take that option. We have a better option. Hugs and kisses. Right? And it's a true and real one, but... It only has real understanding if you understand the axe and the winnowing fork, right? And there's no reason for us to come to that point and understand that the kingdom of God is at hand. In 2 Corinthians 12, 19-21, Paul, Paul had, and, and again, phobia is from the Greek. So Paul was afraid. Paul had a phobia. What was Paul, Paul's phobia? You know, we love labels nowadays, right? His phobia was, in verse 20, that the church would not be conscious of their sins. Remember, the church of Corinth was messed up. It's a lot like us. Big city, a lot going on, a lot of different belief systems, a lot of different religions. And so Paul's phobia was the church. Again, this is like Revelation. The, The warnings to Revelation was to church people. The warning to us as church people that they wouldn't be conscious of their sins. So, being a part of a, of, of a church means that, look, we have to all be in this fight against sin together. We're in the fight together. We don't just leave one person alone. Oh, brother sheep over there is going into the wilderness where all the wolves are. Have fun. We're, we're called to fight together, to fight sin. We're, we're, we're called to together encourage one another to repent individually and together. 
not, not as a means of judgment. Um, we're to together study, follow, and obey Scripture. That, that's our standard. It's God's standards. It's His definitions, not ours. We're called to keep each other accountable. In, in kindness to confront sin. Yes, we can judge sin. We, we judge adultery. That's wrong. We judge stealing. That's wrong. We, we can judge sin. Absolutely. You know what? That's not you. You don't need to do that. You need to change and repent. Let me help you. Kindly. Galatians 6.1. In kindness, admonish, edify, and exhort. That's what we do together. As a church. So as a church, and you say, hey, I want to be a part of a church. Being a part of the church is we're here to help each other repent. We're here to joyfully, gratefully help each other repent. We're here called to gratefully receive that. Knowing that the person who's trying to help us is trying to prevent the acts. They're not doing it from selfish ambitions. We're not perfect. And so sometimes we don't approach each other well. But you know what? Understand from, from the, a genuine place, you need to repent and they're trying to help you, right? And the more we work on that, the better that we get, then the better we will be as a whole. And so Jesus began his sermon series with that long, long preaching message of repent. And so keep that as part of your mindset. Let's pray.